Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. It's a great treat to have our guest speaker with us today from Blue, Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism. And before I introduce you, I would like to introduce you to Blue. We have a video. Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism, or Blue for short, is an inclusive spiritual community for Black people. We are unapologetically Black, unapologetically spiritual, and unapologetically liberated. Unitarian Universalism invites us to honor many spiritual lineages, traditions, and practices while grounding in our shared commitment to seek justice and curiosity in this life. While Blue is a Unitarian Universalist community, we invite Black folks who aren't Unitarian Universalists to be part of our Blue spaces as well. Blue started in 2015 when a small group of Black Unitarian Universalists met at the Movement for Black Lives convening in Cleveland, Ohio. Since then, we've created a thriving community where people can worship together, learn more about justice and organizing, and enjoy getting to know other Black folks who care about the spiritual call to collective liberation. We center queer and trans people in our staff leadership and in our programming. We honor our elders and appreciate the wisdom of our youth. We have meaningful gatherings virtually and in person. During our worship spaces, we often say, welcome home. That's because we mean it. We're blue. Nice to meet you. to introduce uh, my friend and, and someone I've considered a colleague since we were in seminary, Lena Gardner, the executive director and co-founder of Blue. Lena um, received her Master in Arts and in Justice and Peace Studies from United Theological Seminary of the Twin Cities. She lives in Minneapolis. She was active in the Movement for Black Lives between 2013 and 2016 as a central, central leader of the Black Lives Matter Minneapolis chapter. And her, in her Unitarian Universalist faith locally and nationally since 2012. And I don't think it says here, in here, but she's also mama to Winnie, a delightful four-year-old. And so, Lena, we are delighted to welcome you here today. Please. Thank you so much for inviting me to join you here today. Um, I am really glad to be here. Um, yeah, so I was brought here to talk about Blue and our work and a particular uh, justice initiative that we're really excited about. So um, I will start out by saying that I was one of the small group of people at the convening in 2015. Um, so I like to say I'm sort of the last man standing um, <laughs> from that original group um, that's still in leadership at Blue. It was a beautiful time uh, in why we really created Blue was because 
a lot of us at that table were involved in activism and organizing in some realm, some with Black Lives Matter movement, some with other movements, other black organizations. And we felt like we weren't being supported in our Unitarian Universalist congregations, which are also really important to us. Uh, so we decided, uh, let's start Let's start blue, let's start our own, all right? And uh, black people have been doing that since we were brought to this country, um, starting our own places for our own spiritual nourishment and our own well-being. Um, and with that, I will say we also started it with a lot of support um, and encouragement from different parts of Unitarian Universalism. I think, um, I'll just pause here and say, I think it's important too to mention that we were not the first group of black activists in Unitarian Universalism to try to create our own programming and communities and try to get more support. There was another group in 1968 um, that did similar things. Um, and they were supported. There was a promise made to them from the board of directors of the Unitarian Universalist Association. Um, and I'm just, I'm bear with me, I'm telling the story because it's important. Um, and so when we came around, oh, let me back up. So in 1968, there were a variety of things that happened, but the support, the financial support that was promised to that group of individuals was taken away. Um, they went back on the promise for a variety of reasons, uh, but racism was included in one of those reasons, I think. Um, and so you fast forward to 2015, 2016, 2017, and now you have another group of activists, um, and we are sort of walking in the same footsteps. Um, and we were actually approached by um, two, two members of Blessed Memory, um, you know, Reverend Rob Eller Isaacs and Denny Davidoff, to say, we were there in 1968 when that injustice was done. And they said, we don't agree with it. And we see this, we see helping support blue as part of a, a reparations framework, a part of making a, a wrong right. Um, and so that's when sort of the decision to help really fund blue to get off the ground was made. It was made through that very reparative framework. Um, and one of the elders in that community, he's a secular humanist, um, Mtangalizi Sanika, we call him Baba, he is on our elders council. Um, and one of the things we did was we um, approached him and said, you know, like, is this right? Is this right? And he said, absolutely. You are following in our footsteps. And we, you know, as an elder, he, he gave us his blessing. Um, and, you know, and he's been part of our growth um, with, along with other elders as well. But I mentioned him in particular because he was part of that original group. Um, so... With all of this happening, we did a few things. We made a convening in 2017 where we invited about 120 black Unitarian Universalists to come and tell us what their vision for black lives of Unitarian Universalism should be. Um, and there was a lot of things that came out of that. And of course, us being a group of organizers, we thought people were going to be like, yeah, we want to build this base building powerful thing. And we want to, you know, be out there on the streets. That's, that's not what people said. Um, <laughs> not, not, at least some people did, but it was like a second or third priority. The first priority was a deep, deep longing for a spiritual home where they wouldn't have to suspend parts of their identity at the door in order to partake in the, in, in the gifts of Unitarian Universalism, right? So some, some people 
and, and they found this because, you know, um, sorry, my thought went in three different directions. <laughs> um, but people came and they said, we, what we really want is a place where, you know, we can bring our full LGBTQ trans identities into this space and not be excluded, where we can bring our full blackness in all of its varied expressions, because we're not a monolith, right, um, and still be affirmed. And so that is the place from which we, we took that charge really seriously. And that is the place from which we created Blue. Um, so we shifted gears a little bit. Our first, um, one of our first hires was Reverend Michael Slack. We always started as an online or organization. So we um, started offering worship twice a month. Um, there was a lot happening in the world, so we also created a pastoral care line, which is still available and in use today for black Unitarian Universalists and just black folks who want or need support. Um, we also started our daily affirmations. Um, so those were a couple of the, those are sort of our bread and butter spiritual programming that we've offered since 2017 uh, when we got um, funding from the Unitarian Universalist Association. And on the justice side of things, you know, we didn't totally pull back and not do anything because we did hear from people that that is something that's important as well. Um, and so we did a bunch of other things and uh, I wrote down a list um, to, to help just give you highlights, right? Um, so a few things we have done over the years is given away a total of $120,000 in disaster relief grants to, like, I think our numbers were 97% black folks and a few Latina, Afro-Latino folks um, in the southern states. And this covered a variety of hurricanes, uh, winter storms, and other natural disasters that happened. Um, we also did a lot of programming within Unitarian Universalism. Some of you may remember it. Things like raising money for the Mama's Day bailout where we were actually liberating black mothers in prison who have not been convicted of any crime. Some of them have been in prison for two years or more. Um, and we organized a, a bunch of congregations to do teach-ins around this. Uh, the Mama's Day uh, bail Fund is a, a national organization that's still going, right? We haven't ended the cash bail system yet, um, but we were really proud to be a part of that, that process. Um, and we also believe that black liberation is connected to collective liberation for all oppressed groups in our world. So we um, went to Standing Rock on the International Day of Prayer with supplies and solidarity. We see the treatment and degradation of the earth as interconnected and so important to our liberation. Um, we also went to, uh, we partnered with Mi Gente. Uh, we went to the border to protest and give um, humanitarian supply relief to the families experiencing separation at the border. Um, we also, I myself, door knocked in Arizona to try to get um, Arpaio out of office. Um, yep. <laughs> and um, yep, we did that. <laughs> and we sponsored a lot of uh, white supremacy teach-ins. We were a part of the group, although that was a group of religious educators. We helped sponsor that. Um, and we've done uh, a, a few different theological education series within Unitarian Universalism around um, yeah, white supremacy and how it shows up in our faith. Um, so, and you know, that's not all we've done. <laughs> so I just wanted to give you a, a brief highlight. Um, but 
it is a good overview of sort of that we, you know, really deeply believe in collective liberation and we want to be a um, safer, more inclusive space for all black Unitarian Universalists. Um, so that's sort of, you know, the, the backstory. I will also say, um, be, just after the pan, or well, sort of in the middle of the pandemic, we decided we wanted to restructure our organization to be a, try to be more uh, a flat hierarchy. Um, and we are really trying to work our way through what does that mean and how do you do that. Um, so we are also going through a restructure, and I think we're on the tail end of it. We should be in the spring announcing our <laughs> new structure um, and what that's going to look like. Um, and we're really excited about it. Um, so uh, that all said, I want to talk about now, today, I want to talk about our housing initiative. How did this come about? What happened? Uh, it basically started because when, when we received our funding from the Unitarian Universalist Association, which was $5.3 million, we decided two things. We were going to start an endowment, and we were going to use that as startup funds to help us create the organization from the ground up. But we were also really clear that we didn't want this money to just benefit black Unitarian Universalists because all of us came from a community somewhere of black folks who sacrificed for us and made it better for us. So um, at that time, the group of us on the, on the organizing collective board, we sort of started putting out feelers in our own home communities to figure out where we could be of help, of service. Um, and one of my connections here in Minneapolis at the time um, came to the surface. And at the time, it was just, if you all buy this, uh, these lots for us, these are empty vacant lots from the county. They have been tax forfeited. Um, if you buy these lots and hold them, um, this other organization was gonna do all of the other work around building the cooperative, recruiting the families, getting the structure, getting the financing. Um, and so we said, yes, we feel like that's within our scope and our capability, right? We feel like that's something we could do. So. Um, I went, I was like, I think like 20 some weeks pregnant and we went to the county office and I handed over a check for like $163,000 for all eight lots and we bought them. <laughs> and, there, and, and we were like, yes, this is great. Um, and then the other organization we were partnering with sort of uh, collapsed. <laughs> and it's really sad. Um, and we were faced with the decision of, do we keep these uh, lots, or do we try to sell them? Um, and we decided we were committed to the housing cooperative idea. We were committed to housing justice as one of the ways and most urgent needs in our communities. Um, and so that meant that uh, when I came back from maternity leave, I was like, we got to find new partners to do this because uh, none of us have any housing development experience. Uh, so we were lucky enough to, I started putting out feelers, making connections, and um, we are lucky enough to be able to partner with Urban Homeworks. They are our main organizational partner um, as, uh, as we develop this project. Um, and I'll save you all a lot of nitty-gritty details and just tell you that we have a closing date of sometime in the week of March 18th for our first site, which we're very excited about. Um, these are going to be 4.5 
or sorry, four-bedroom, 2.5-bathroom homes, new construction. Uh, it's going to be on one site, three homes right next to each other. We did that on purpose because in Minneapolis, there's a favorite to stack. Uh, but that bottom unit, it's an equity piece, right? Because that bottom unit gets less light, often has lots more trouble with mold and mildew. People have more lung issues, all of those things. So we were like, let's not do that. Let's do side by side. Um, and so we are really close to doing that. Um, the, the housing initiative also uh, was born to serve black and indigenous single uh, parents. And we did that also after researching with a few different people and saying, where is the need? Um, and why would we do four bedroom instead of one or two bedroom? Well, the reason is because when we talked to a few different um, county administrators, they said, look, there is one and two bedroom homes popping up all over the place and, or, and apartments. And the big D developers are grabbing up affordable housing dollars um, to help sub subsidize their properties. So they're putting a lot of one and two bedrooms availability. But what happens often in our family structures, we're taking care of an elder as well as young children or a cousin or whoever, and um, there's not three and four bedrooms. So that's why we decided to go for the larger three or four bedrooms. And because we really believe in dignified housing, uh, we wanted them to be beautiful, we wanted them to be, uh, yeah, new construction and quality construction. And so right now we have eight sites. Um, I mentioned that the one site is really close to being uh, <laughs> underway. Um, and we're really excited. Um, I should also mention that we've also partnered financially. We've gotten funding from a Wells Fargo grant and the local Local Initiative Support Corporation goes by LISC. Um, they've also helped us with capacity building um, and, and through the form of grant making. So um, yeah, we are really excited. Um, all of the homes are on the north side of Minneapolis. They're about five miles away from each other um, or like within a five mile area. Um, and we've also gotten a lot of guidance and support from shared capital around how to structure the cooperatives for the long term. So, um, yeah, and I think I can stop there. I could go on and on and talk about all the different uh, <laughs> angles of this property. I think the last thing I should mention is we are deeply grateful to be partnering with the City of Minneapolis, Minneapolis Homes Program. They are a major in, um, like investment in this project, um, investing uh, $900,000 into to be able to make this first site actually happen. And what that money allows us to do is to construct these new homes to the tune of about $425,000 per unit. And then we're going to sell them to the families. And I use the term sell because in a cooperative housing, you don't sell, you do share loans. Um, so they will be able to access that new home through a share loan for $195,000. Wow. And that's because the city is coming up with that. Yeah, we can clap for that. Let's, let's clap for that. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's largely because the city is coming up with this, what's called affordability gap. Um, so the, uh, the sort of agreement we're making with the city to secure that is that um, you also have to be making 60% of the area median income to be able to uh, access the share loan in the cooperative and, and occupy the home. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the, 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 you know, sort of some nuts and bolts about the project. I will say that, um, 
There is no other project like this in the country happening right now. Um, and we're really proud to be sort of blazing this trail. We've heard feedback from the city of Minneapolis that we are creating paths for more cooperatives to come. Um, and we're really excited to be a part of it. Um, so we really feel like it's important to be changing the material conditions for our people as part of our work in uh, liberation and justice. If you aren't changing material conditions for people, um, you know, it's, it's not that helpful, frankly, right? Like, we, you know, it's, we've got to be actually working to change the material conditions, the lived realities of people, so that they can have better, more stable bases to overcome the oppressions that they face. Um, so, yeah, I'll stop there, I think. Um, wow. And yeah, I think we're gonna do some questions, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, Lena, that it's so exciting to hear your excitement about it. I've gotten to hear you talk about it before, but I can just feel from everybody and the nods and the, wow, wow, look what creativity and people coming together and saying, what else could this be? What could we do? How could the world be different? I love to change the material conditions for people. Yeah. Um, you know, you have been involved with this housing initiative and, well, with Blue from the beginning. And yeah. I can only imagine that there have been Lots of moments when you're just like, oh, man, it's not going to happen. Or when you feel like yeah. you may be beating your head against white supremacy culture over and over and over and over again. And the structures. Yeah. Um, and I would just love to hear what keeps you going oh, in the work. Yeah. That is a great question. What keeps me going in the work? Um, I think it's in part a vision the vision, like seeing and really believing in this cooperative housing. Uh, so holding on to the vision and honestly love uh, in, and not in like a like sort of whatever way. I'm just like, I really, and I'm, some of it comes out of my own lived experience, right? As a, as a solo mom by choice, right? I'm like, it's hard out here. All the structures are really pitted against you and for other black and indigenous single parents that are on this journey, it's like, if I love you, how will I show you that I love you? And part of my commitment, and at Blue we talk about everyone has areas in where they are privileged and areas where they are experiencing oppression. And so we, I'm like, how can I leverage the privilege that I have um, to help others who maybe don't have those same areas of privilege. And so one of that is using my connections to forge new partnerships, using uh, you know, the funding that we got and sharing it, quite literally, and sharing it, right? Um, all of those things, but it comes from a place of loving black and indigenous people, right? Um, and that has been, you know, and that's something that we really carry at Blue as well is, uh, is that centering of just like, you know, I think some people, uh, well, sometimes we write very pointed statements and we say things and we don't mince words. And sometimes that can feel very abrasive to people. And when you realize that it comes from a place of deep love, right, I think it changes it a little bit, right? Um, so I can share that. I can also say like part of my thing too is like, you know, when you are, offering up the words around Palestine, it's like we all sometimes feel so small. It's like, what can you do with what you have 
where you're at. Mm. And I throughout this whole project, I keep asking myself that, right? Like, what? this is what we have, this is where we're at. Um, how Can I keep on using that and just asking myself that question and, and use it to help us get, you know, get these, these buildings, these homes into our world? Um, and that has been a really guiding light for me. Um, it, and when you mention just like the structures of white supremacy that come up, one of the things I encounter again and again talking about this project is people want it to be really big. They're like, why isn't it 100 homes? Why isn't it 200 homes? You know, things like this. Um, and years ago when I first started talking about it, um, you know, it was just sort of a, like, it was just this vision, and we didn't have an architect with fancy renderings and, you know, help to help people visualize. And so, um, I think the, the challenge for me too has been how do I help people understand that we're starting with what we have, where we are, which is we can do 17. It used to be 24, but with the challenge to the Minneapolis 2040 plan, we're not able to do that anymore. So we've been knocked down to 17. Um, and I will say that was a blow to my heart. I was really coalescing around the idea of 24 units, 24 families. Um, but here we are, um, the law is the law. <laughs> so yeah, so I will say trying to help people move along that sort of like, uh, I don't know what to call it. It's just this inertia and this wanting, well, if you can't do something really, really big, mm -hmm. then just don't do anything at all. Right. But there's like this whole middle ground. <laughs> like there's so much more you can do. Well, I, I think Adrian Marie Brown has taught me that about small is all, Ooh. right? That that justice movements are fractal, and and that if we can get it right in the small, then it can build. And I'm in, encouraged to hear that the city of Minneapolis says that this project, first of its kind in the country is paving the way for other possibilities. So let's be really clear, the Minneapolis Homes Program. Thank you. In the yes, city of Minneapolis. Thank you. The Minneapolis Homes Program. Let's let's not yeah. not all departments of the city has been as supportive, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Oh, that's so exciting to hear what that what that creativity and let's do yeah. what did you say? What what we're do what we can with what we have where we're at. Yes. Man, I love that. That's good. Um, I think we're, so, so here's the deal. At noon, our noon program today, um, it, downstairs in the chalice room, uh, that's not very far from the lower assembly hall, Lena is going to share more about the housing initiative so we can find out more about it, find out ways that we can support, um, find out a little more of the details, but you've given us a really good picture. So yeah. I hope folks will be able to join us for that noon conversation. And is this the point where we show the video? Well, I think I got really excited and covered a lot that's in the video. <laughs> okay, so maybe so, we'll show that. Um, yeah, I think we should we'll show, show it at the presentation. At noon, at yeah. noon. okay. Um, good, more video. Um, <laughs> I will say this video is with Asale Sol, the executive director of Urban Homework. So it is worthwhile to get another voice in the picture, yeah. Well, thank you, yeah, Lena Gardner, <laughs> for your work in the world. I think that piece of love at the center, please, choir, come on. I think that piece of love at the center of all we do is so powerful, and love says, 
to the organizations that, that we care so deeply about do better, right? If you love an organization, you can say, do better. If you love a country, you can say, do better. If we love each other, we can say, come on, let's do better and be better together. Without shame and blame, let's do better. Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.